What a friendly, talkative group. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. I'm just going to talk to the front row. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. Man, when I came on here a few weeks ago and Jake told me every once in a while we have minglers that are three minutes long, I was like, dude, are you crazy? People are going to hate that. So for you introverts, introverts, I am your savior. We're done. Moving right along. Um, hey, it's good to be with you here this morning and hope you had a good and safe 4th of July. Hope you have as many fingers as you did on July 3rd. My name is Garrett. I'm one of two pastors here. Our other pastor, the founding pastor, Jake, is over at North Shore Community Church this morning speaking there. And if you don't know, North Shore is the church that launched us, planted us um, about six months ago now. So he's over there and when I came on a few weeks ago, we were looking at the calendar together, and he said, hey, Garrett, July 9th, I'm actually speaking at North Shore, and it's the weekend after a major U.S. holiday, probably going to be really sunny out, probably no one's going to show up, so why don't you speak that weekend? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that nice of him? Like, hey, man, thanks so much. We fooled him, didn't we? <laughs> Look at all of you, huh? This is awesome. This is awesome. So I am excited to be here and share with you this morning, but I'm going to level with you. I'm a little nervous. This isn't part of my normal gig. My background is as an executive pastor, working more on the administrative side of the church, uh, leading the teams and uh, the staff. So as I reflected on this, it's been probably three and a half, four years since I was here uh, in this setting teaching on a Sunday morning. So thank you in advance for your grace and your patience. Yeah, oh, thank you, man, thank you. And for laughing at my terrible jokes, so this is great. Um, one other quick disclaimer while we're on it. I have a history of passing out in public. I do. Sounds like a lead up to a joke, but it's not. My wife and my sister are both here. They can vouch that this is in fact true. Most recently, I passed out at a wedding. Yeah, yeah, I, that's what I thought. Oh, this is the mother of a bride that I'm about to officiate the wedding of. <laughs> hey, Danica and Ryan, by the way, yeah, so you might think, you know, I was there like as a groomsman or something, but no, I was officiating the wedding. And we were halfway through, it was going great, having a good time, and uh, I don't know what happened, but bam, I was just out. And luckily, the best man was a hulk of a man. He picked me up like a rag doll, cleared the front row of the seats, laid me down. I woke up, like tongue hanging out of my mouth, and my shirt was half undone, and it was embarrassing. Um, but so if any of you are thinking about getting married, Jake will be back next week. You can ask him. And if you do want me to do it, I charge an entertainment surcharge for passing out at your wedding. All right. <laughs> hey, I didn't pass out first service, so uh, all things are going good. Um, so as we dive in, I want to just take a quick look in the rearview mirror of where we're coming from, all right? And then we'll drive forward with the topic this morning. So like I said, North Shore Planet Arbor just about six months ago, and we had a laser focus mission and vision. The one thing that mattered to Arbor when we launched was that we were going to make disciples. We say that our purpose is to make disciples. Our preference is that we do it together. And so over the last couple of months, we spent five weeks in a series called Disciples, where we looked at the disciples of Jesus, what they looked like, how they behaved, what are the key markers of a disciple, and how do we apply that to our life? 
And now we're in the preference portion of our series, the one another's. That's what we're going to talk about right now. And the one another's in scripture are broken up into thirds. There's roughly just over a hundred one another's, 94 of them in the New Testament. A third are devoted to love, loving one another. Another third are some topics we've covered already, like being humble with one another, telling each other the truth, and then some more that we'll talk in coming weeks, like being kind and patient with one another. And then the last third is one we get to talk about this morning, which is unity, being united with one another. And um, this is something that we probably get, certainly professional sports get this. If you're familiar with the Golden State Warriors, they just won um, the, the NBA national basketball title. And if you ever watch their games on, when they're playing at their home court, almost everyone in the crowd has a yellow t-shirt on and it says strength in numbers across the front of it. Uh, the, the players, their warm-ups say strength in numbers. They understand this concept of they are better together. That when the power of unity, the power of one coming together for one purpose, that there's strength in numbers. The Seahawks, right? We're in Seahawks country. We get this, the 12th man. When people come into our house, when they come into CenturyLink and the 12th man is in effect, we are almost unstoppable. Both the Seahawks and the Warriors are nearly undefeated on home turf because they embrace this idea of unity, of one another. Does that make sense? And so as we look at Scripture, we see that this same theme is all throughout Scripture, that there's, like I said, over a hundred passages that deal with this idea of one another. So clearly, Scripture also thinks that this is really important. And so what I'm going to do is put a handful of these one another verses that deal with unity up on the screen, and I'm just going to go through them rapid fire, all right? You won't have time to, to go through your Bible, so just watch the screen. I'm just going to read through a handful of these to kind of give you an idea of what we're talking about. Here we go. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. So seriously, let's not eat each other. <laughs> Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another, and don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. And again, this is just a handful that I've picked. There's several more like this. But what do you think is going on here? Like, why did the authors, the speakers, feel that they needed to devote this amount of time and attention and energy to this topic of beauty? Shout some stuff out. What do you think is going on in the early church that they felt like they had to do this? Like, seriously, talk out loud. What's... Arguments, yeah? Division, yeah? Yep, yep. All true. They're fighting, they're quarreling, backbiting, gossiping. They lacked unity. And this is crazy because this is a group of people that many of them actually saw Jesus firsthand. And if not, the rest of them were with people who had. And already from the onset of the church, They've gotten off focus. They've lost their central unifying theme and are arguing over all sorts of stuff. There's dissension in the ranks. And so clearly, this was an important enough topic that the authors devoted a third of the hundred passages to saying, we gotta get unified. So why are we talking about this today? 
Like, we don't really deal with this, right? I mean, it's a good thing that everything gets better in time, right? We're in Seattle, close to Redmond, the mecca of Microsoft, but we all here would agree that we use Macs and iPhones. That's the preferred platform of choice, right? I was at Starbucks the other day. I'm moving fast before someone boos me on that. I was at Starbucks the other day and um, went up. It was my turn to order, and I just small talk with the barista and said, isn't it beautiful outside? She goes, eh, I'm not really into it. I mean, I'm born and raised in Seattle, and I just I prefer the cold and the rain. It's like, What? I was born and raised here too, and all I have to show for the cold and the rain is a big old stack of therapy bills. Like, you're crazy. <laughs> so clearly we're not unified on that, but politics. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, could the United States be any more united right now? <laughs> okay, so let's, so we'll bring it in a little bit. We'll talk about the church, the global church. Recent research shows that there's anywhere between 33 to 50,000 different denominations worldwide. Our goal is one, 33 to 50,000. I know that's a widespread, but even call it 33. <laughs> we got a ways to go. I know in my life, in my relationship with my wife, in my marriage, unity is super important. Above all other things, it's what Tani and I strive for. But if I'm honest, there are areas in our marriage where we're not fully unified. In fact, there are some areas that we are straight up divided. Early on in our relationship, in fact, um, it's right when we got married, we were excited to come back from our honeymoon and finally get to move in together. And, uh, you know, you unbox all the stuff that you got from your, what you, uh, the wedding showers. And it's just, it's just a fun time. And I thought I was going into it eyes wide open. I had talked to several people older than me that had gone before me who were in marriage relationships and gotten good advice. And so I knew, hey, we, we might load the dishwasher different, right? No big deal. We, one of us might put the cat back on the toothpaste, the other might not. Tawny might like the toilet people to roll under. I like it to roll over, right? Just all these silly things. I mean, I saw it coming a mile away, black hair all over the bathroom floor, when you get out of the shower and your feet are wet and it sticks to you, uh, that's not true, I didn't see that one coming. That was a cruel realization. But if you were to come to my house today and take a peek into our closet, it's the same today as it was 14 years ago when we first got married, you would see that our closet is visual evidence that not only are we not united, but we are clearly divided. We have very different definitions of what organization looks like in our house. My side of the closet, it's a thing of beauty. It's like this perfectly orchestrated symphony, everything in its right place, at the right time, for the right season. Tawny's, I love you, babe. It's like a Picasso. It's like abstract art, which if I'm honest, to me, it's like People grab buckets of paint and throw it at a canvas and then sell it for a million bucks and it ends up in the Smithsonian. You know, like, I don't get it. Some of you are into it and you value it. Clearly there's value. I do not get it. Mine, it's got a flow. You start on the left side and you got your socks and your underwear because that's what you put on first, if you didn't know. And then you move to the undershirt and then you get to the pants and then you get to whatever shirt you're going to wear. Bam, done. Well-oiled machine. 
And then you reach this dividing line of sorts, if you will, a daily reminder that we are not unified when it comes to how we orchestrate our closet. And I tried to explain multiple times, hey, there's a better way to do this. Let me help you out. I can help get you organized. Much to my surprise, she never was all that interested in taking me up on the offer. She tried it out a few times, but ultimately was like, ah, it's, just not, it's not the way my, my mind works. You know, we're different. Can't you just get over it? So one weekend, she was out with some friends for the weekend, and I had the best idea. <laughs> I knew exactly how to love her in that moment. So I get on the phone, and I do what any little brother would do. I call my big sister. And I know you're thinking, oh my gosh, no you didn't. Yeah, I totally did, because my sister's like an organization ninja. So she came over, we got together, we went to storables, we bought all the boxes and the bins and, you know, stuff. And we came in and just did a massive closet makeover. And it looked awesome. I was so proud. High five my sister. Thanks. Get out of here. Tawny's going to be home soon. And so I'm sitting there waiting. And Tawny drives in. I'm waiting for her at the door. I'm like, babe, I got a surprise for you. Come in. You got to check this out. And she's like, you know, oh, wow. He's super thoughtful. What did he do? So she comes up inside. And I said, come back to the bedroom. And she's like, oh, I see where this is going. I'm like, no, no, no. I promise. I promise. <laughs> Not this time. So, <laughs> and so we walk in. And I open the closet door, and I'm like, check it out. And her face wasn't doing the smile that mine is. It kind of like dropped. I'm like, what's wrong? She said, what did you do? What'd you do? I organized your closet. Isn't it awesome? She's like, you organized my, well, not just me. I called my, si you what? <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Yeah. So I called Jody, and um, she came over, and I cannot believe you did, right? She was mortified. She was super frustrated and really embarrassed that I'd call my sister and ask her to come over and get involved in all this. What I thought was going to unite us ended up dividing us even more. And just, just to be clear, my wife never has problems finding her clothes. They're always clean. They smell good. And she's absolutely gorgeous. Any of you who have met her know that she's absolutely gorgeous. But thank you, I agree. But I thought that if she just would see things my way, her life would be better, right? Instead of being unified around, hey, we can let some of our differences go, but center on our relationship. So what does this have to do with today? Why am I telling you this story? Because I wanted to talk about what is unity. And maybe to start with, talk about what unity is not. Unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we're going to be clones of each other, that we're all going to think the same way, talk the same way. And this might be shocking to hear in a church, but it doesn't even mean that we're going to believe all of the same things. And it certainly doesn't mean here at Arbor that you're going to walk in these doors on Sunday morning and suddenly be overcome with a love and affinity for shiplap and farmhouse style. <laughs> right? Like some of us just aren't into that. With my closet, it might seem like a silly example, but it doesn't have to be uniform the way I do it for us to have unity in our marriage, right? And heaven forbid it doesn't have to be uniform with the way Tawny does it for us to have unity in our marriage. So if that's what unity is not, then what is it? Unity is an overarching central focus, a common goal. To borrow from the author Jim Collins, unity allows us to say no to the things that are good 
to say yes to the things that are great. Unity means holding some stuff loosely, even letting go of some things that are really important to us for some things that are even more important. So when it comes to a group of people like us here at Arbor, and this talk is for us at Arbor as a church family, okay? This is for us, how we do life together as one another. What is our working definition of unity today? Unity is choosing the imperative over the important. Unity is choosing the imperative over the important. In my story, the closet, again, as silly as it was sound, it was really important to me. I take organization silly, and you can laugh at me as you should. But it was not imperative, right? What's imperative is that relationship with my wife. So for us here at Arbor, what's our imperative? What are we rallied around? And I think whenever you ask a question like that, Scripture is a great place to start. So if you will, turn with me to Galatians 3, verses 26 through 28. Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 28. Um, If you have a Bible or smartphone, you can do that. Otherwise, it's going to be up on the screen as well. And here's what Galatians 3 says. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. What's the reoccurring theme there? I'll help you out. It's Jesus. You hear it over and over. We are one in Christ Jesus. Here at Arbor, we are not unified around a principle. We're unified around a person. Okay? Let me say that again. We're not unified around a principle. We're unified around a person. And I just want to make clear, there's a lot of important things. A lot of important principles. Things like doctrine and theology. Think we'd agree, super, super important. Social issues, social justice, serving our community. These things matter a lot. Teaching style, worship style. Are you gonna be an expository teacher? Are you gonna be a topical teacher? Even Jesus himself said, the greatest commandment is love, right? But outside of Jesus, There is no love. When we focus on love and talk love, love, love without Jesus, it's not really love. And so here at Arbor, Jesus is the imperative. Jesus is what brings unity to us as a family. I was talking this week with my buddy Tony, who was reminding me of a story from a couple years back of this terrible boating accident that they were in. They were out vacationing in Eniat. If you don't know where that is, it's up near Lake Chelan on the Columbia River. And um, the way he describes it is the conditions were beautiful for water skiing. The water was like glass, and they were having a blast playing on the water. It was um, Tony and his wife and two other friends, and then they had their kids with them. So four adults, four kids. The kids were all ages five or under. And um, they had taken the boat and beached it and were hanging out playing on the beach and looking up over the hills. I don't know if you guys would remember this. Some of you will. A couple years ago, the wildfires that tore through Chelan were just awful. 
And so they were seeing up over the hills the, the fires uh, developing, and they started seeing them coming down the hillside fairly quickly. And uh, being the smart people that they are, they said, man, it looks like the wind's picking up and starting to move its way down here. We, let's pack up and get in the boat, because if that wind makes it down here, the water's going to get crazy. Um, and so they packed up and got in the boat and started heading home, hugging the shore the entire way to try and stay out of the chop as much as they could. But as quickly as they responded, it wasn't quick enough. Water, and, and they couldn't have. The water changed so fast. It went from being smooth as glass to feeling like they were out in the middle of the ocean. White caps everywhere. And about a half mile from the house that they were headed to was a bridge that they had to go under. And the only way to get under the bridge was to nose into the water and go out half to its halfway point. That's the only spot where you could make it through the bridge. And so they nosed in and carefully navigated the water. And as they turned under the bridge, they were greeted by a horrifying sight. They estimate the waves that were in front of them to be six to eight feet high, like you'd see in the ocean, that you would surf, the kind that curl and crest. And as they turned in, instantly, this wave crested over the bow of their boat and crashed in and swamped the boat out. And they say that they were immediately standing to water up to their hips. And before they had a chance to do anything, a second wave came in and hit them. Thank you, Jesus, that all the kids were wearing life jackets. And they, were fl- they instantly started floating. The parents were able to grab the kids and bring them in. And no sooner did that happen that a third wave hit and washed everyone out and the boat's gone. And they're instantly spread apart and the waves are crashing. They can't see one another. They can hear each other shouting. But it was just chaos. And do you think... In that moment, they were thinking, oh my gosh, our $100,000 Mastercraft is sinking. Like, how do we save it? My watch is getting wet. Oh, my iPhone. That's crazy, right? There's no chance you're thinking about that. You're thinking about, how do I keep my kids above the water? How do I stay alive? And again, thank you, Jesus. They're all here. In fact, they're sitting in the crowd this morning. They're alive, the kids are safe, and there's a whole lot more to the story that I don't have time to tell. Um, but in that moment, times like that, what's imperative becomes really clear. You're not worried about all the other stuff. There's one thing that matters and one thing only. I think about um, my grandfather. I call him Papa. And Papa Berkman was a preacher for 50 years, planted a lot of churches, had an amazing impact on a lot of people's lives. I still, to this day, um, because now I'm working in ministry, I'll meet people and say, hey, are you Ben Berkland's son or grandson? I said, yeah, that's my papa. And they say, man, because of him, I'm following Jesus. Because of him, I got baptized. My life has changed. I'm a changed person because of him and his ministry. What an incredible legacy. And I remember sitting at um, the foot of the bed of my, on my papa's bed as, he was, uh, as his life was nearing the end. And asking that question that we often ask people as, as their time is expiring here on earth and saying, hey, Papa, what do you think? Anything you'd do different? And he called me pal. And he had kind of this, this gravelly voice. He said, well, well, pal, the only thing I'd change is I would preach grace way more, way if I could do it again. And I just thought, man, that's powerful. In his last days, reflecting on 50 years of ministry, if he could do it again, there's one thing that mattered more than anything else, and that was preaching grace. And that was powerful. That sat with me, you know? That was the imperative. So again, 
What is unity? Unity is choosing the imperative over all the other important stuff. And at Arbor, I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over. Jesus is the imperative. We are unified around the person of Jesus the Christ. And why is this so important? Why do we need to be talking about this here today? And how does it relate to us? What's the ultimate purpose that we're trying to accomplish through having this conversation? So again, like I said before, when you start asking questions like why and purpose, I think scripture is a great place to go to answer those questions. So turn with me, if you will, to John 17. John 17, verses 20 through 23. And what's happening here is that Jesus is praying. And he's praying for his disciples, and he's praying for all the people that will come to follow him as a result of his life and as a result of the ministry of disciples, all right? So we'll pick it up here in verse 20, Jesus praying. My prayer is not for them, the disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's all of us here today that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that, and I want to stop here and draw attention to this. When Jesus says something like, so that, something important's about to happen. He's about to really define and clarify why, okay? May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, here it is again, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Why unity? So that the world will know that you love them and that you sent me. Jesus is saying that simply by our unity, the outside world is going to see that something's different. They don't look like us. Something's different, and it's going to be compelling. It's going to draw them in, and by that unity, they'll know that they're loved and that God sent his son to die for them. That's crazy, right? That's powerful. I mean, is it just me? That seems wild. And it's not just this big global thing. You, you, you in your personal life, you, because of your unity, people you know, people you know could come to Jesus, change their life forever. Maybe it's a parent or a spouse. Maybe some of you here this morning have kids that, have either walked away from faith or were never into it in the first place, and it just grieves you. Coworker, friend, best friend, I don't know. But Jesus is saying here that by us unifying around the central theme of him, of King Jesus, that the world will take notice and that they will know that they're loved. That, to me, is incredible. And I know as we sit here, that's what we all want. That's what we desire. We desire for our friends, for our family to know this 
with God life, this relationship that's available, this power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. That's what we want together, right? But even though we want that so bad, if we're honest with ourselves, there are things that get in the way. We get caught up on stuff, stuff that can be really important. They're not all trivial issues, but they're not always the one imperative issue. Things like music, the songs that we sing here. I wish we did more hymns, or I wish the music, I don't really hear I wish the music was louder too often. Uh, anyway, <laughs> women's ministry, men's ministry, youth ministry, right? Teaching styles. I like it better when Jake's there. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> He'll be back next week, so come back. Theology. Again, I'm not making light of all this stuff. These things I'm going down, these are important things, truly important things. And as I was going through my notes for today um, during the week with Jake, talking to him about them, he was saying, hey, and this is Jake talking, he said, hey, you know, Bob and I, and I'm sorry if you don't know who Bob is, he speaks quite a bit here, second probably only to Jake. Um, he said, Bob, Bob and I have been doing ministry together for probably more than 10 years. And there's several things that we don't agree on, some, some fairly big things, actually. One of them leans Arminian, the other leaves, leans Calvinist. And if you know anything about those two words, you know that those are really divisive camps in the church. Like, literally, churches split over that and start new churches. Hundreds of books, I, I'm, probably thousands, honestly, have been written on this issue. I hear people argue about this topic all the time. But when you look at Jake and Bob... They've said, hey, we differ on some of those things, but there's something far more important. Like, we agree on more than what we disagree on. And as I look at their life and their ministry over the last decade, I'd say that God's blessing has been on them big time. Like, incredible stuff has happened in them and through them because they chose to put the imperative over the important. Plus, Jake jokingly said, uh, well, hey, if... Bob came to think the way I do, then what would I be able to make fun of him about? So sounds like, <laughs> like Jake kind of enjoys it. But isn't this interesting? Isn't this the way the adversary of our soul works? When he can't get us too far off into big drastic things, he's just going to at least get us off course just a little, just enough where we start arguing and getting caught up on stuff that's still important because he knows he can't get us all the way over here. So it's, I'm just going to get him off just northeast, you know, just a little bit. And get us arguing about that stuff so that we can't be unified and see the power of what Jesus was talking about. And we end up losing sight of that imperative. Jesus is our ultimate model of this. When you look at his life and when you read about his life, he took that first step toward forgiveness and reconciliation. His message was one of believing, far, or, or belonging, far before you ever believed. In fact, he went the distance and died for us, knowing that many of us, not only wouldn't, we wouldn't have our doctrine and theology all put together, but we may in the end just not choose to follow him. Yet he did it anyway, because he had a bigger agenda in mind, and so should we. So my hope for us this morning is that we too would choose the imperative over the important. And as we get ready to 
land the plane. We're kind of, we're coming in. Want to just look at, as a result of being here today, what are some simple action steps we can take? This is just, you know, a couple ideas. There's many more. Maybe you're thinking of something right now. But I was thinking as we get into conversations and oftentimes around important issues, to stop and ask, is this an imperative? Is this imperative? For some of us, letting go of some things a little bit, you know? Maybe another way to say it is like, just chill out a little bit. Everything's going to be okay. The earth's still spinning. God still holds it in the palm of his hand. Just lighten up a little bit. (laughs) I think some of us could probably afford to be known a little bit more for what we're for than what we're against. We have a tendency to get caught up in pop culture and current events and the stuff that's frustrating us and troubling us and aggravating us. And all of a sudden, we just find ourselves talking a whole lot about what we're against. What if we just consciously said, no, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to focus on talking about what I'm for. And lastly, maybe there's a relationship in your life that's sideways right now because you guys have gotten off on some stuff that you feel is important to you and you can't align on it. And the relationship is sacrificed because of it. And so maybe what's in order is an apology. To go just say, hey man, I've put this thing ahead of our relationship and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Would you just imagine with me for a minute if this was actually true. Like if what Jesus prayed is actually true. That is, he told his dad, hey, I pray that they're united because if they are, then the world will know that you love them and that you sent me to die for them. Could that actually be the case? If we did that here together, Arbor Church, if that's what we were known for, this little collection of people, the six months old, unify around the central theme of Jesus and hold the other stuff a little bit more loosely, could we see droves of people coming in these doors who are new to exploring the faith, who are opening up, who have this sense of God loves me. He created me for a purpose. That moves me. That moves me. And I think just maybe, just maybe Jesus was serious when he said that. Will you bow your heads and pray with me?